You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. We did a very special episode this week. Uh, on Monday was our one-year anniversary, so we got together in person to record for the first time. We had some wine, we talked some DS9, and we had a great time. If you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to that one, because that was probably my favorite episode we've done so far of this podcast. But we didn't have time to talk about anything new, so we wanted to circle back around and you know, touch on this week in Trek history, do a question of the week, talk about the latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy. But first, we'll kick it off with some news. We got some news. It's been a couple of weeks since we had anything to really talk about. So it's kind of nice to have a couple of good stories that came out this week. Yeah. The first one is um, the short Trek from a couple of years ago called The Girl Who Made the Stars, which was based on a, a, a folk tale um, and featured a young Burnham is going to be, well, has been adapted to a picture book. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be released on August 2nd. And the description of it reads, a long, long time ago, a young girl, based on the character of Michael Burnham, found the courage to brave the darkness and give her people the stars so they would no longer be afraid of the night. Adapted from the short trek, The Girl Who Made the Stars, this picture book by New York Times bestselling author Rob Perlman encourages young readers to be brave, to face their fears and accept challenges and to always be true to who they are. So I'm really excited about that. That was a beautifully, beautifully animated episode. And I think it's going to make it it's, it's, it's perfect for this kind of format. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited that they're continuing to go after the more of the kids market. Exactly. That's something that Trek has been negligent of for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one up, we have Star Trek is entering the world of full cast audio dramas. The first release that's coming up is called No Man's Land. It stars Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd and is written by Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson. So the description of that is No Man's Land begins in the immediate aftermath of the stunning season one conclusion of Picard, while Seven of Nine and Rafi are enjoying some much needed R&R in Rafi's remote hideaway. Their downtime is interrupted by an urgent cry for help. A distant, beleaguered planet has enlisted the Fenris Rangers to save the an embattled evacuation effort. So as Seven and Rafi team up to rescue the mysteriously ageless professor whose infinity-shaped talisman has placed him in a deadly sights of a vicious Romulan warlord, they take tentative steps to explore the attraction depicted. Is that right? Yeah, the, the attraction depicted in the final moments of Picard season one. Oh, their attraction. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. I, I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, I'm with you now. When you first said it, I thought you were like attraction, like a theme park or something. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that would be a good story to hear. Um, So I'm really excited about this because uh, Doctor Who fans are familiar with a a company called Big Finish, which has been doing um, full cast Doctor Who original dramas for 
I mean, 20 something years since uh, 99. And um, a couple of years ago, 2018, they dipped their toe into the Star Trek world with an, basically it was an audiobook um, adaptation, sort of, of a trilogy of novels called um, Prometheus. And uh, so we were hoping, now Star Trek licenses are notoriously expensive and hard to get. So we were thinking this might be the, their like first step in to the Star Trek world and that they would start producing full cast audio dramas for Star Trek. Mm. Now that never really happened. No. And uh, maybe this is why maybe, maybe the Star Trek people want to do their own thing. Mm. So either way, I'm, I'm excited about what we're getting. So uh, this, as I said, um, features Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd, but the rest of the cast hasn't fully been announced. Well, I guess it mostly has, but it also features uh, Fred Tatashore from Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. I don't know what character he's playing, but he's in it. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. Maybe he's playing a Bajoran. <laughs> It'd be oh, great if it was just Shaq shouting at them the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And finally, we have the Makeup Artists and Hairstylists Guild has announced their nominations for the year. And the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery has been nominated for Best Special Makeup Effects for Television. Woo-hoo. The artists nominated for Discovery are Glenn Hetrick, Rocky Faulkner, Nicola Bendry, and Chris Bergeon. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, Discovery will be going up against American Horror Stories, Impeachment, American Crime Story, The Witcher, and This Is Us. Now, Discovery has been nominated for the same uh, Guild Award in 2020, and Star Trek Picard was nominated in 2021. Mm. And all three previous seasons of Discovery have been nominated for Emmys and uh, for prosthetic makeup, and they have won twice in 2019 and 2021. So excellent recognition for uh, a spectacular job that we've seen on screen this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the news for the week. I had a thought when on the on the first side of you announced, and then Charles, you mentioned about how um, it's it's good to have more stuff for kids for track. Mm-hmm. And I, it's it's so weird because when I was growing up, as you say, there was no Star Trek kids stuff. And the thing is, I never looked for kids stuff growing up. So I wonder, is it just because I had no choice? Because like I was a kid, I was always watching kind of adult science fiction stuff. Like, you know, I never I never really did a lot. of. Like I, when I first started reading, I read some of the kids science fiction books, what we would now call YA. And then mm-hmm. I got bored with them and I went straight to the adult stuff. So sometimes I wonder... Um, I wonder if that's just because back when people like me were around, that we didn't have any options. There was no Star Trek kids stuff back in the exactly. day. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. all I had. Yeah. So just, yeah. just think of how many more Keith Johnsons there might be had they courted the, the <laughs> yeah. children's market and the young adult market more than they did. Yeah, that's a good point. Of course, people remember that at one point in time, the studio was thinking of moving Star Trek to Saturday morning and turning it into a kids show, a half hour live kids show, which mm. would have been... My gosh, that would have been an abomination. Yeah. For years, there were Star Trek toys that they would yeah. sell to kids. Going back to the yeah, 60s yeah. and the old Remco stuff, and then later Mego, and then Playmates. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, but it seems like increasingly lately, over the past couple of decades, it's been more and more just adult collector items. <laughs> so right. I'm, I'm glad to see that they're turning their eye back towards kids with things like Prodigy and now this book. Um, because, I mean, and a lot of the Star Trek shows now are TV 14, TVMA. 
So it's yeah. not like when we were kids and you could just watch it because it was on TV. Right. Um, so I, I'm glad that they're making those gestures now to kids because, you know, eventually we're all going to get old and die. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about those toys. I remember some of the Star Trek toys. Like there would be weird things like that famous one with the kid with the helmet with the red yep. light on top. They would just, <laughs> in the Remco ones, they would just slap Star Trek on something they already had. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Great. It was fantastic. Star Trek will sell anything. <laughs> Captain True. Kirk's battle tank. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Keith, do we have some This Week in Trek this week? Yeah, I'm going to do just a couple of things here because it was actually a very busy week. But um, there's some birthdays that are, are of very significant note. I love the fact that when you talk about Star Trek, you go back, well, you go back five decades just to talk about Star Trek. And then when you talk about some of the people who created it, you're going back a century, which is an mm. amazing to me. So we go back to a birthday, January 11th, 1923, Wow! which is just amazing, right? That is the birth date of one Jerome Bixby. Oh, wow. Yeah. And for those who don't know, John, Jerome Bixby was a sci-fi writer who, once again, was one of those people who was absolutely instrumental to Star Trek. His biggest claims to fame is he wrote the episode Mirror Mirror. Yes. Absolute classic Star Trek. By any other name? which mm-hmm. I've probably said odd infinitum, odd nauseum. It's one of those, whenever we have a show about episodes that start off great and end completely differently, that's one of those because it starts off an awesome science fiction concept and by the end, it's kind of goofy. He also wrote another good one that became a classic and gave us our second Klingon, The Day of the Dove or Day of the Dove, uh, which is another fantastic one. And another one that we talked about recently, we, we had a conversation about Star Trek that we may not have appreciated as much when we were young, but we appreciated older. We got older. He also wrote Requiem for Methuselah. Yeah. Which is, to, from, from my mind, one of the better of the season three episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. A couple other things that Jerome Bixby did outside of Star Trek would just absolutely stamp him in the science fiction world is he wrote the classic star uh, Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life. Yeah. And for those <clears throat> those who may not know, the good, It's a Good Life is the one that starts a, a young, stars a young Bill Moomy as an absolutely well as an all-powerful kind of psychopathic little kid who holds a a town hostage absolutely classic he also wrote the story that became the movie fantastic voyage so no absolutely uh oh i forgot about that one yeah one of the things gene roddenberry did is so good and you talk about creators like roddenberry and george lucas and so forth is even if you don't like the stuff that they do later on is their vision and they're initially getting it off the ground Roddenberry did something that was incredibly unusual for a show like Star Trek in that time. He went after famous science fiction writers. He went after Robert Block. He went after, he tried to get Rod Serling. He went after, um, gosh, why am I blanking on the guy who wrote the uh, Seed on Edge of Forever we just talked about him? Arlen Ellison. Thank you. He went after people like that. And so it's because he did that that it laid the, the foundation for Star Trek becoming what it was. Um, another one, birthday. One more sorry, thing about Jerome Bixby. Sorry, before you yes. move on, uh, uh-huh. if, if he was a real like writer's writer as far as science yeah. fiction writers go. And his, uh-huh. if you've never seen um, his last movie, which was well, a movie that was based on his final script called The Man from yes. Earth, it uh-huh. is exactly the sort of science fiction story that I love, where it's just characters in a room telling right. a great science fiction story. And we we've seen the movie, and then we've also they turned it into a stage play that we were able to go see when they did it here in town in Marietta. And it's uh, it's phenomenal. So I would just wanted that's to recommend really the Man cool. from Earth. That's, and they made a sequel to it. That's uh, a good point. Don't watch the sequel. Just no. watch The Man from Earth. <laughs> yes. Hey, am I mistaken? Because I, for, I forgot to mention The Man from Earth. I'm glad you brought up. Was Bruce Greenwood associated with one of those productions? 
I don't think Bruce Greenwood was in the man from earth. I got to look that up. Maybe he was in the sequel. Um, he might've been, I'm not going to watch it again to find out, (laughs) (laughs) but that's a good one. Yeah. For those who haven't seen the man from earth, it's absolutely worth checking out. Okay. On to another one really quickly. Um, 1951, January 12th, Kirstie Alley. It's her birthday. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, I love her. Yeah, of course, known for a million things, but for the purposes of this, she's known as the first of the two Saviks from Star Trek. She was in um, Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan. I thought she did a fantastic job. It's funny to see people like Kirstie Alley and then uh, Kim Cattrall, who mm-hmm. you know for other things such as comedy, sometimes raunchy comedy and sitcoms. And it's funny to see them play serious characters like Balkans and half Romulans. And, and looking at it, I always wonder because I never knew why Kirstie Alley didn't come back. And it depends on who you talk to. Money. She said, exactly. You're right. It was money. She claimed that they lowballed her and, and what we're going to pay her less for Star Trek three than they paid her for Star Trek two. <laughs> somebody, somebody from the, uh, other side claimed that she wanted she wanted to get like three times more money than the Forrest Kelly to come back. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows why? But she evidently said she really wanted to come back, but she just couldn't get she couldn't uh, manage the money. And that's why Robin Curtis came in as the next Savick. Mm. And uh, Kirstie Alley graciously said Robin Curtis did a good job. But she says whenever she watches Star Trek three, it's always weird because she's not on screen. She kind of wishes she were, but. It was what it was. I think she did a fantastic job. I, I just can't topic. imagine Kirstie Alley just sits around and watches Star Trek. <laughs> That's 3. what I was just thinking. Like, how often would that happen? <laughs> she, she, has, she has the whole Star Trek library and she just pulls out random things sometimes. Yeah, she has the whole library except for Star Trek 3 and 4. <laughs> or, yeah. she, or, she, or she just watches 3 over and over and says, yeah. That should have been mine. Yeah. And she's crying and sobbing about it or something like that. <laughs> Okay, then we're going really. She's quick. like, Robin Curtis didn't get cheers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another January 12th birthday, but a little closer in time, 1972, was the birthday of one Michelle Paradise. Oh, oh great. Yay. Yeah. Very cool. It was absolutely making her name in the new Star Trek, which is it's pretty cool. And it's, it's nice to see new blood and new ideas coming mm-hmm. into the, the Star Trek universe. Uh, I'm going to skip one and go back because there's one I want to do, but there's there's two more I have to do real quick. And that is, well, I'm not going to skip it. Let's do it. January 13th, 1938. Um, let's see this one. Okay. I don't know. I've never seen those furry little things again, and I never want to see another one of those. And that's not the exact quote, but. Is that Corax? No. Oh. It is. Uh, there's not even much else I can think about on him. Uh, Let's just remember, um, I really can't think of anything else that he said on the show. Let's just say that was not his first appearance in Star Trek. He came back. Tribbles. Yeah. If if he came back, then that was his first appearance. Right. That was his first appearance. I'm sorry. First appearance. He had two appearances. Was it Koloth that said that? No, it was. Oh, no, it was Orrin Darvin. That's it. You got it. That was it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Charlie Brill. Brill you got so played. excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, Charles, we got to go somewhere and get you on a trivia contest. Seriously. <laughs> it's not a time yes. limit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Brill was born on, on the 13th of January, 1938. 
And wow. yeah, of course, he went on the, to, to fame as uh, Arn Darvin in The Trouble with Tribbles. And I think some of you probably know the story, which is so fascinating, is years later, when the, the gang behind Deep Space Nine was looking at doing a tribute to the original series, then you had several of the guys behind Deep Space Nine, um, including um, Rene Echevira, Echevira, Ronald Moore, and Iron Steven Burr were having lunch at a pizza joint. And they were saying, man, it'd be great if we could do another Trouble with Tribbles. And Iron Steven Burr said, yeah, but you know all those stars and stuff. I bet the only guy we'll be able to get back is Charlie Brill. Well, they turn around and look, and Charlie Brill happens to be in the pizza joint with his wife <laughs> at the moment they're having a conversation. So they went over and asked him, and he said, sure, why not? And that's how we ended up with Trials and Tribulation, wow. which is that's fascinating. Another thing I found out interesting about Charlie Brill is he's actually was a, he was a comedian, or is a comedian, and he had a, a comedy team with his wife, Mitzi McCall, going back to 1964. They had an appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show as a comedy duo. And the funny thing is, on that same Ed Sullivan Show was one Frank Gorshin, who played Commissioner Beale in um, Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. Another person who guest starred as a comedian on that episode was Georgia Brown who later became Helen Roshinko on The Next Generation. Uh, yeah, isn't that wild? Oh, and the other yeah. thing I'll just toss in, it was also the first appearance of the, Be of the Beatles. The Beatles, right. Yes, yep. <laughs> Biggest yes. play in the fame, right? And one more. On January 15, 1928, was the birthday of the late Joanne Linville, mm. who played nice. the Roman Commander. Roman Commander. Yes. Man. In the Enterprise Brilliant. incident. Yeah who was actually the first ship commander shown in all of Star Trek, not mm -hmm. Federation, but the first ship commander of all of Star Trek, which I think was first a female deal. One. First female. Thank you. Yes. Right, first right, female right. ship commander, right. which was um, a, a fascinating thing. Um, just a great episode. And she did a great job in it. Wow. Yeah. And one last one I do want to throw in on the 19th, on the 14th of January, 2009, we lost Ricardo Montalban. Mm. And enough said about yeah, Con. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's this week in Trek. All right, great. Well, we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show, and then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy. So stay right there. If you were a monster kid growing up, if you enjoyed Saturday mornings watching monster movie matinee or staying up all night watching the midnight feature, then Monster Attack is the podcast for you. We not only look at classic old monster movies, we share our experience growing up as a monster kid. Join us every Monday for Monster Attack. All right, so spoilers this week for the latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Now, on the, the episode description, it was called First Con-Tact, First Contact, but on the, on the episode title on screen just said First Contact. So whatever the official title is, uh, First Contact is the episode of Star Trek Prodigy that we're discussing this week. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the difference in spelling. Yeah, I, I, I did because Weird. when it popped up on the screen, it just said First Contact. And I was like, they've already done one of those. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> so pretty soon you could have a whole like first contact day marathon of just the first contact, second contact. And what a great idea. First, first contact. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great idea. Did anybody watch Prodigy this week? <laughs> yes. Nah. Yeah. 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 What yeah. did you think, Veronica? I, I enjoyed it a lot. I liked uh, the the style of the aliens, and it's something that you can't do in the live action, but you can do in the cartoon mm. um, with those little ethereal floating you, things. You don't say cartoon. That's <laughs> like Saturday morning throwaway, you know, Huckleberry House Sorry. stuff. Anime. That's kid. not anime either. I, I, animation. I added, added the, I added oh, the okay. tid. My bad, my bad. I was being funny. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I'm amazed you didn't immediately respond about the fact that it was a Fringy episode. Oh, yes, that too. That's exactly the first thing I thought she was going to say. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's why I threw it to her. <laughs> yeah, there was a female Fringy that was wearing clothes. Yeah, you, you were just saying a couple of weeks ago that you'd love to have seen more female Fringy like Pell on yeah. Star Trek. And then we got uh, Damon But she wasn't Nandi. like Pell. She wasn't like Pell, but she, well, I mean, she was out there making a profit. Yeah, yeah. but... She seemed kind of evil Ferengi. Yeah. Okay. We are in which we're in the Delta Quadrant, right? Well, ish. We were in the Delta Quadrant, and then they traveled four thousand light years, and then so on the map like it said the they were edge. near nearer to the Gamma than to the Delta. But I don't know if mm -hmm. I don't know. She's out there somewhere. So yeah, it's to, un, unincorporated territory, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how far is she from Ferengi space? I don't know. I expect they're sort of, I mean, how they must be along there? the line somewhere, maybe to the alpha or beta quadrant, because we've seen a lot of, um, you know, familiar species, but uh, you know, there's mm -hmm. not like there's a, a wall there, you know I mean? People just fly around in space and end up <laughs> yeah. where they end up, whether they're, which quadrant. Well, yeah, I think what he means is how far did she fly? Oh, to get I don't there? know. Yeah. yeah. Did she, yeah. Did she hit a wormhole or something? Cause I'm trying to figure out how far, cause some of them are so yeah, that far. Yeah. Marzan wormhole that they stole. <laughs> yeah. It could they, be. Like, flung her over there. <laughs> it keeps flopping around and she knows all about the Federation, which is yeah. interesting that doll didn't know about the Federation. Or he didn't. Yeah. It was interesting. He didn't know about the Federation, but she evidently mm. did. Yeah. Uh, she evidently is the one who originally found him. Yeah. Yeah. So and, how and, much and does she know him. about him? Or did she steal him from someplace? Yeah, she could know his backstory. She, yeah. Oh, I I how, how they came to be together. Right. That's a good point. We, we, we know how they parted. Yep. <laughs> she <laughs> sold which, him. I mean, the whole time I was suspecting that. Right? Oh, yeah. She yeah. sold that boy for some cash. Come on. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. She she obviously knows all about the Federation and Alpha Quadrant. Doesn't mean she would have taught him about it because right. it wouldn't benefit her to teach him about yeah. such things. And, okay. and to yeah. that, she would never teach him that. No. Well, yeah. it also it yeah. indicates that they haven't come this way. They've they've right. stayed out there because they haven't run across yeah. Federation ships or anything. Right. Right. Now she right. teaches him the important stuff, like mm. the rules of acquisition. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, man, I yeah. loved that. Yeah. Loved it. <laughs> there was like 15 seconds at the beginning that absolutely captivated me is when Dahl says that um, they knew just a tiny bit more about what happened to that ship. And all you see is them saying they're being boarded and Chakotay. And now I'm really trying to understand what happened to that crew. What is going on? Well, uh, it looked that, like Dreadnought. Yeah, it was Dreadnought. Yeah. Right. So what happened to Chakotay and the rest of the crew? That's I don't know. That we, what a we got we got 13 more episodes to yeah. find that out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I do really love, because you know, we kept talking about from the beginning is it was Janeway hologram holding it back. I love the fact that Janeway hologram is increasingly distraught about the fact that she mm -hmm. doesn't know what happened and she can't yeah. remember. 
and she seems visibly upset that you know yeah. doll and them disobeyed the prime directive and sort of let her down mm-hmm. like she's having emotional mm-hmm. reactions to these things which is right nice to see i mean even at the yeah, end i really enjoyed but, i enjoyed that scene a lot yeah Sorry. and at the end when when he said yeah i messed up and she didn't say well that's all right you'll she just popped out you know <laughs> yeah right now i yeah. did love that this group of teenagers found a transporter and immediately just started beaming stuff <laughs> that pie, that pie slice. Right. <laughs> just doing that. And yeah. I love when Murph ended up on the outside of the hole. <laughs> right. Right. And Murph's just chilling. <laughs> yeah. The transporter effect looks like the like the Kelvin universe transporter effect from the, it does. Yeah. From the 2009 film. With the kind of circular. Yeah. The little whirling around. Thing. Which it was right. fine. I, I like that transporter effect. But um yeah, I I, I wouldn't let my buddy beam me somewhere. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so is that one of those things they don't have transporters a lot, I guess, in that part? I remember what was was in Voyager. Was it in Voyager? There was something in the Delta Quadrant almost no one had. Was it transporter technology or replicator? Technology? Well, it seemed like they found a lot of people that didn't have both of those technologies. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Transporter replicator technology is still some reason is hasn't been discovered very often in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things the Kazon wanted. Right, those fierce villains, the Kazon. <laughs> they really were. Veronica, uh, I agree with what you said about the aliens. I thought they were beautiful looking. Um, they almost reminded me of something. They kind of sort of reminded me of the aliens in under um, the creatures in the dark crystal. Once the uh, mm-hmm. the Skeksis and the yeah. other ones re- rejoin, they kind of remind mm-hmm. me of something like that. But yeah. I agree, they were really beautiful and probably more easily done in animation if you had done it in oh, live yeah. action. And that whole crystal cave was pretty nice looking. I thought that yeah. was pretty nice. I thought cool. the whole planet sequence was, yeah. was gorgeous. That was yeah. incredibly well yeah. done. Yeah. And I yeah. love that, yeah, like the crystals and then the song and the sand. And I thought that was all there's great use of animation. Same thing the so or similar sort of thing, like the animated series used to do, where they would put it all mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the the interesting alien planets and alien species that you things you can do in animation that, like you say, are hard to do in live action. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I did think it was funny. Was it uh, Nandi when Nandi yeah. was trying to give what it was a Farigi spit pen? She was <laughs> right. trying to say here, here's this thing, and, and they they weren't buying it. But it was kind of cool that their gift was the song. Yeah, and she was like, no, 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 <laughs> Crystal, Crystal, I don't want that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I just love that. I mean, that's twice now this season of TV that we've gotten new Fringy episodes. We've got one in Lower Decks, and we got one. I just love having these things back. You know, I thought Nandi was great. We we saw very few female Ferengi. Um, yeah. So I love that there's one out there and she's somehow got a hold of the ship and she's just manning this whole ship by herself with her and her little box droid thing and just yeah, flying around and making a profit. He seems yeah. to be intelligent, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a droid. Well, droids can be intelligent. Yeah. Pickpox. That was the name. Yeah. Pickpox. Pickpox. Yeah, you're right. No, Pickpox. Yeah. I can't say it. Yeah, basically, so, he didn't give her. He didn't give her any lip. Yeah, a, a couple of things about Nandi. Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I was really impressed with the voice, and I thought it was either Cecily Adams mm. or Andrea Martin who played uh, um, Moogie on DS Nine. Mm. I thought that that's who they had got back to do this voice, and it wasn't. It mm. was uh, some other person that I don't know her name. But there were two people that voiced Nandi. Um, cause I paused to see if it was Cecily Adams or Andrea Martin. Mm. Um, and so interestingly, 
when she had the veil over her head and was trying to fool them into thinking she was sending a distress signal or whatever, that part was voiced by Melissa Villasenor, who's a current Saturday Night Live cast member. Oh, interesting. I, th- I mean, it's, it's strange that they did two different voices for the same character. Yeah. And the voice didn't seem that different to me. No, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I don't understand that, but I was, I was very pleased to see Melissa Villasenor's name on the credits. Okay. That's two, two SNL people that are in the animated Star Trek's right now. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that her ship looked so much like the classic Ferengi ships. Yeah. Like it was just a, like a Ferengi ship yeah. just flew in, you know? Yeah, that was amazing. Because I mean, these days we get so many like new interpretations of things and reimaginings right. and so forth, and like right. and and Nandi looked like a Ferengi. Yep. Yeah, you're right. That's that's kind of the top of the line Ferengi ship. That's one that she's com- commanded by Daemon, right? Yeah, and she's calling yeah. herself Daemon. Called herself yeah. Daemon, and I was like, "How's a woman a Daemon?" Yes, there's a there's a very interesting story there because she is her own ship and she can do whatever she wants. There's no crew. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I am Damon by default. Right. And she probably, she probably stole the ship. Yeah. And this is after the time of uh, Rom as, you know, yeah. um, Grand Nagus. So obviously things have changed. It is after the time of Rom as Grand Nagus, but only by a few years. And if she yeah. was raising Dahl, then she's probably been out there for a while. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, she was, she yeah, may have been out okay. there since, Good point. but I mean, I mean, if you're a woman who wants to make profit, why not steal a ship and right. head out to parts unknown? You know? Absolutely. I like what they've been doing with Dahl. He sort of had declared himself captain, but now he's having to be be a captain and mm-hmm. learning what that means and making bad decisions. And I like right. the little lesson about the Prime Directive. I thought that was a good introduction to the Prime Directive. Yes, it was. Yes, and uh, showing them why why it's a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And you would think that with his upbringing and with his life in a prison camp, basically, that Dahl would be much more opportunistic. Mm-hmm. But here he is very actively opposing Nandi and trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really great character beat for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was so very confused why he was trusting her because like, mm. wasn't that a thing at the beginning where, Oh, I don't trust people. I don't trust anyone. I don't. But, I mean, she was a mother yeah. figure to him. Right. And, and he was very hesitant about his trust. Yeah. He wasn't giving it like completely, you know, a, a, like a blanket acceptance or anything. Well, I think it's one of those things, too, where like he wanted it to be true. He would love yeah. to have had a family. Yeah. But it sort of puts it makes him an official Star Trek character. Now he has a bad relationship with a parental figure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They always do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a it was a poignant little moment at the end when he was. Uh, in private with Gwen was saying how much it hurt him that she betrayed him. He said, and she said, um, she said, I wish I could tell you that it'll stop hurting, but I don't really know that yet. Cause mm. she's still hurting. Cause she said, you know, he was uh, talked to her own father. And I thought that was a really poignant moment there. Yeah. She yeah. understood what he was going through. And it looks like the crew cut him some slack for what he did because mm-hmm. of that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a good episode. Um, I think for me, this one, it felt like it was a, 30 minute episode aimed for kids because mm. I kind of wanted a little more. I mean, I kind of want a little bit more with the, with that race. I kind of want a little bit more with Nandi, even though I know she'll have to come back. So I thought it was good. I think I just, I think I wanted just a little bit more out of the episode, but it's a 30 minute episode. So yeah. you're, you're going to get what you're going to get. 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. It feeling like a 30 minute episode for kids, but I also say, I think this is my favorite one of the season so far. It was the star Trek. episode they've done so far. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I agree I with they that. Did a great job with it. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Okay. So for our question of the week from a listener, this one comes from a good friend of ours, Tony Bowers. And he would like to know what's your favorite character that only appeared once that you would like to see show up again somewhere sometime. It's a good question. That's a great question. Cause there's a lot of great one-off star Trek characters. I know exactly. Yeah. I'm going to think about that for just a second while the rest of you guys go. I know oh, mine. Okay. Go right. Mine ahead. is commander Baylock. <laughs> I would love to see commander Baylock. The first federation was fascinating. He's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. this very small alien with deep voice who lives in by himself in this giant, awesome ship. And he's got this uh, puppet robot, whatever he's got hanging out with him. And mm-hmm. I think it's great. And I think uh, with modern special effects too, you could do cool mm-hmm. things with Baylock. Like you could put Clint Howard's head on a child's body and have the <laughs> even Baylock. Yeah, good or, point. And, or, or if they were going to do Baylock in a, like a like a motion picture, like if it was like in the the Kelvin movies, I would vote for Patton Oswald CGI'd onto a child's body. I can <laughs> see that completely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good pick. But also, Baylock would be a great character to show up on Lower Decks. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Veronica, you got one? Well, I got one, but um, they can't come back. Um, Data's daughter. Oh. Uh, she oh. had a name. Yeah, Lol. Lol. Yes. Hindi for Beloved. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping for a direct Lol reference in Picard, and that never yeah. happened. So was I. I was expecting one, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and that totally. would have made more sense than some of the things they did. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so I have a couple that, that first came to mind. One of them has already happened because as you know, Sonia Gomez, who was on, mm-hmm. she actually appeared twice, uh, in, in sort of small appearances at the end of season two of next gen. And she's now come back as a starship captain in lower decks. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yep. The other one has sort of happened. We, she's been referenced on screen and she was in a crowd scene and that is commander Shelby. Yeah, that is now Captain Shelby. I, that doesn't count. I want a real Captain Shelby. No, exactly. I Elizabeth want an actual, Dennehy. Absolutely. Yeah. I want an actual appearance, an actual storyline that involves Captain Shelby. Yeah. Bring I'm, her back, man. She was the highlight of the whole of season three for yeah. me. I'm not taking this no non-speaking cameo as Captain Shelby. No, I no, want no. real Captain Shelby. Absolutely. Preferably in the same episode with Riker. Exactly. <laughs> right on. All right, Keith, we've given you a few minutes. What you got? Uh, I've got a couple, I think, like you. The first, like, Veronica can't come back, but... Um, Anything well, actually, can happen in sci-fi. Yeah. Actually could if you go back. It is... Uh, well, it. jeez. i got to say Ty um, is Captain... Um, well, C- Captain Garrett. Mm. Oh, Garrett. Yes. Enterprise, which is yes, one yes, of my yes. top ten of top five TNGs. I yeah. love that actress. I forget her yeah. name. I should know Patricia her name. Patricia Neal. <laughs> um, she was so good in that role and she was considered for the role of Janeway um, I just loved her and I loved I loved her portrayal and I loved the way when they knew they had to go back and she knew she was going to die what was so cool she's a captain and she literally says we'll make it one for the history books the mm-hmm. Romulans will get a good fight and 
Picard just says, I know you will, Captain. And that was it. And that was such an amazing thing. Yeah. That's a captain. That's a Star Trek, a Starfleet captain. Yeah. Um, the others, and I correct me if I'm wrong, they never showed up again, is the race, the Kelvins, mm. from yeah. by any of their name. The reason I'd like to see them is I, I've said before um, many times that episode is in my is on like in the, one, near the top of my list of Star Trek episodes that start out, in my opinion, really promisingly, and it kind of falls off. I mean, it's mostly known now for it's green. <laughs> then what at the first half was a really chilling, frightening invasion tale where a woman yeah. gets killed on a camera. And what intrigues me is the Kelvins were described by Spock after that mind meld as like nine feet tall, multi-tentacled creatures with hundreds of R of tentacles that each can commit, can uh, do individual acts. Mm. And I'd love to see the Kelvins. I'd love to know what happened to the Kelvins yep. because that show ended with Kirk said, we can send a ship to your people in the Andromeda galaxy with a message of peace. And that's it. And Rojan and his people, I think they settled on that little planet right inside the galaxy. I'd love to know what happened with the Kelvins. Yeah. That's a good thing. I like it. Yeah. So, Tony, thank you so much for sending us a great question. Yeah. Um, yes. For anybody listening, if you've got a question that you would like to pitch to us, you can email us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook group or our Twitter and uh, send us a message or do a little post. And we will read your question on the air and give you some kind of answer, whether it's good or not. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Alan, where can people find more of you on the Internet? Feltnerdy.com. Oh, wait, that's not <laughs> you're, me. you're there, too. <laughs> All the time. Um, so uh, cosmicpress.com and my other podcast, which is Modern Musicology. And how about you, Keith? You can find me on Instagram and on Facebook, primarily the ESO network groups. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. There it is. And do you have a closing for us this week? My lobes are tingling. Hey, (laughs) that's a good one. Good job. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.